your Bibles, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 1, and we're also going to look at Acts chapter 2. So uh, just go to Acts 1 for now. And while you're turning there, I got to read something to you because last week I got into what some of you would understand because you've been around church a long time. I got into a little bit of preaching on hellfire and brimstone. Some of you know what that is. We got into the lake of fire last week. We didn't actually get into the lake of fire, but you know, in studying, we got into the lake of fire and talked about the flames and such. And how many of you know you got, you need to talk about that. Some people would say, I don't want to hear about that. Well, you really do because you don't want to go there. It's better to learn about it and avoid it than it is to ignore it and act like it's not real and end up there. Isn't that right? Not only that, we need to be reminded so that we help other people not to go there. But uh, since we talked about that, somebody sent me something this week and I thought I got to share this with you. This is called wrong email address. And it says typing the wrong email address can have unintended consequences. A Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They planned to stay at the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of hectic schedules, it was difficult to coordinate their travel schedules. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on Thursday and his wife was flying down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in his room, so he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter and he didn't realize it, so he sent the email. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a Baptist minister and he was called home to glory following a heart attack. The widow decided to check her email, expecting messages from relatives and friends. After reading the first message, she screamed and fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife. Subject, I've arrived. (laughs) Date, March the 21st, 2012. It went on to say, I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now. And you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived and have been checked in. I also saw that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. Sure is hot down here. So you got to watch who you're sending emails to and uh, what that can mean. All right. Find Acts chapter 1. And let me remind you that the Lord has had us on this prophetic series called the Unstoppable Spirit-Filled Church. Somebody said, what church is that? It's the church that the Lord Jesus Christ began back in the beginning of the book of Acts. The Unstoppable Spirit-Filled Church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. Think of the resolve. Can you hear the resolve in his voice? I will build. I will. He didn't say I'm going to try. He said, I will build my church 
and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's how convinced Jesus is that he is going to build an unstoppable church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the church that the Lord Jesus is building is an unstoppable church. And Jesus is in the church building business. Make sure you're not on the other side of him. Because there's an enemy that the Bible calls the accuser of the brethren. And he is trying to divide. He is trying to sow discord. One of the seven things that Proverbs 6 says that God hates. People who sow discord. And sometimes we could catch ourselves getting critical of the church, critical of leaders, critical of other people in the church. And before we realize it, we're saying things that are tearing the church down. And lest you find yourself on the other side of Jesus, who is in the church building business, we need to be careful. Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren, isn't he? And so be careful that you don't end up letting your opinion and your perspective get you over there with the devil and open your big mouth and join his crew without realizing it. That's why you'll notice around here, you don't hear us criticizing other ministers, ministries, being judgmental. It's not that we agree with everything going on out there. But many years ago, the Lord taught me that my job was not to go around and straighten everybody out like I was the body of Christ expert. Like I had it all down. You know, you learn a few things and then you get a little cocky. And you begin to look at people and think you can judge them. Let me just tell you something about Jesus and this church that he's been building. Ever since day one of his church, in the book of Acts, the second chapter, ever since day one when the Holy Spirit fell, Jesus has used 100% imperfect human beings to build it. Isn't that right? He has not used one perfect human being. He only uses imperfect human beings since day one. The only perfect human being that's a part of this thing is Jesus himself. Isn't that right? And he is still a human being. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. He's still a man. He's God, but he's still a human being. You remember after he was raised from the dead, he said, handle me because the spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see that I have. He's a human being, but he's the only perfect one. The rest of us are flawed. Right? Contaminated. We've been compromised already. Now he's rejuvenating us, rebuilding us, renewing us, reviving us. But we're still jacked up a little bit. Is that right? Come on now, admit it. God has a dysfunctional family and it's not his fault. It's our fault. And the devil's course, course has helped us with that. He's caused the dysfunction. But I want you to understand, be very, very careful not to get over on the enemy's camp to where you're criticizing and judging and tearing down the very church of imperfect people that Jesus is building up. Jesus said the husband ought to wash his wife from all spots and blemishes by speaking the word of God, the washing of water by the rhema word of God. 
And it says, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So the way Christ cleans us up is not to criticize us, but to speak the word over us and to remove our blemishes and spots that way. And so we need to get over on Jesus side and clean one another up by speaking the word of God over each other, not by being critical. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. That's for sure. (laughs) All right. So Jesus is in the church building business. We need to make sure we're not in the church tearing down business. Is that right? All right. We went over last week that Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, everybody. I want you to go and preach to everybody. And then verse 20 says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with the accompanying signs. So Jesus said, go preach to everybody. And the Bible says, and they went out and preached everywhere. So they were being obedient. The Lord working with them. So when we're obedient to God and we begin to go and share the gospel, Jesus goes with us to confirm the gospel. That means when we share with people that God is a healing God and we lay hands on people, Jesus is going to work by the power of the Holy Spirit to heal people and to confirm the gospel that you're preaching. If you don't preach it or share with anybody that he is a healing God, a delivering God, he has nothing to confirm. He needs us to preach it so he can confirm it. He doesn't do it and then we preach to explain what he did. Amen. He asks us to preach it by faith first. Tell people what God will do. And then let him confirm the word. So the Lord works with us to confirm the word that we preach with the accompanying signs. Or as one translation says, with signs following. Now, Acts chapter 1. Let's look over at verse 8. We've been by this before, but I want us to read it out loud today. Acts chapter 1. Jesus is speaking here. Let's all read verse 8. We're going to read from the New King James Version. If you don't have the New King James Version, that's all right. There are a lot of good versions. But just for the sake of us reading aloud, if you could follow along on the screens, we'd appreciate it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Loudly and together, let's read. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice again, Jesus said, but you shall receive power. You remember what we do? This is my Bible. It is God speaking to who? To me. Listen to what Jesus said. But you shall receive power. But you shall receive power. Not just these original people here. Oh no. He's talking about us. When the Holy Spirit comes on us, we receive power too. Is that right? Jesus is saying here, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you shall be witnesses. And you shall be witnesses. Well, Pastor Jerry, you really, I, re, I really don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm kind of timid, you know, timid. You know what timid means? Kind of shy. I'm not one of them extroverts. What are you, a pervert? No. No, I'm one of them introverts. I don't have the gift of evangelism. 
Where, where is the gift of evangelism in the Bible? I'd like to see where that is. Where is that? Somebody look in the concordance and see where it says gift of evangelism. Ephesians 4. Yeah, it's not there. No. No, it's not. Anybody know where it is? Where's the gift of evangelism? It's not in the Bible. Now there is in Ephesians chapter 4 the gift of the evangelist. That's one of the fivefold, you know, apostles, prophets. Sometimes we call it fourfold. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The Bible says when Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. He gave some apostles. He gave some prophets. He gave some evangelists. He gave some pastors and some teachers. You remember this? But where's the gift of evangelism? It's not in the Bible. See, sometimes we think, well, this person has the gift of evangelism because they seem to have an easier time sharing the gospel with people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And there does seem to be these people that just make the rest of us feel like, you know, weasels, wimps. There's some other words for it that I won't say. Just like we're we're not evangelistic whatsoever. Well, you may be the most insecure introverted, timid, shy, weaselly, wimpy person in the body of Christ. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said. But, 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 look at Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He didn't say if you were a real charismatic person, if you were bubbly, if you were friendly, If you were cool, he didn't say anything about cool, did he? He's talking about everybody from the cool to the fool. Isn't that right? He said, look, it's not going to be your power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses. Who? Whoever the Holy Spirit comes upon. See, we don't only receive the Holy Spirit to speak in spiritual language. We receive the Holy Spirit to have power in us to overcome insecurities, to overcome low self-esteem, to overcome the inability to communicate or I don't know what to say. And we have somebody in us that helps us over that bump to start sharing. And he leads us and guides us and makes what we do effective. We're talking tonight about being empowered for a daily harvest. Being empowered for a daily harvest. I mean, just every day the Holy Spirit can use us to win somebody to the Lord. I know in the the American church, I know that we haven't been good at this because we sort of settled in to this way of, you know, this mode of operation where, well, what I do is this is what's being a part of church. Once a week, if I make it that often, you know, I'll come in, I'll sit, and I'm part of the church. Somebody said, what church do you go? I, I go over here to, uh, uh, I've asked people before, hey, you go to church? Right? Yeah, 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 I go over here. I go over here, and then they'll tell me what you're, oh, yeah, who's your pastor name? It's uh, his, uh, what, uh, what is his name? Yeah. Honey, what, what's, what's that pastor's name? Where we go to church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, have you been there recently? Yeah, 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 yeah. He said, oh, he taught a good message, you know, last week. Oh, yeah, what, what did he teach? Uh. On the Bible? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you're really picking it up, Jack. Yeah. It's amazing how many people just think, you know, giving your little nod to God. That's what this is about. That's not what this is about. This is not about just an occasional appearance so that God says, oh, oh you are still here. Okay, good. I, I, I mark him down. Yeah, we, we got you. We got you. That's not what this is about. Man, this is about being a part of the family of God. This is about being a part of the greatest business on the face of the earth called the kingdom of God. The unstoppable kingdom. The Bible says of the increase of his government and kingdom, there will be no end. This is, a, this is something to be a part of. And the Bible says, Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And doesn't the Bible say that God actually chooses the weak and chooses the foolish and chooses the, the one that was marginalized and people just overlooked and discounted, didn't think they could do anything. God actually chose them. And here's what he said, so that no flesh would glory in his presence. In other words, when God chose the people that no one thought could do it, then everybody knew when it did happen, that was God. And God got the glory. So if you think, I don't have the gift of evangelism, you are the perfect candidate. (laughs) If everybody looks at you and thinks you can't do it, you're the perfect candidate to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and for God to do extraordinary things through you because then everybody will know it's God. Amen. Amen. Do you feel encouraged by that? Well, you know, I think you feel like you're kind of slamming me here. I'm slamming. We're not slamming you. We're empowering you with the Spirit. See, when God gets done with you, you're no longer the introverted little wimp that you felt like. You are an empowered man of God or woman of God. And the Lord's going to do extraordinary things through you. All right, now stop asking questions. I've got to move on. Listen, when God's Spirit comes on you, you are empowered to be a witness. Listen, this is happening around us more than ever before. In fact, let me read. I'm going to read a few testimonies tonight. Listen to this testimony that came in. Ever since we started this T4T training, testimony has been rolling in. Extraordinary, precious testimonies. Listen to this one. This person said, I have a great testimony. Tonight I was late to my rock group and I had to use the restroom so bad, so I stopped at Starbucks. On the way in, I heard some guys out front talking and saying some words and I thought they were talking about God, but I didn't know for sure. So as I left, I heard one of the guys saying something about the Holy Spirit. So I jumped into the conversation and said, what are you guys talking about? And the guy who spoke about the Lord started telling me something about the word, but I didn't understand exactly what he was saying. But then he jumped up and he had to go back to work inside of Starbucks. Well, then I started talking to the other man and he told me that he was a messianic Jew and he was gay and he was happy about being gay. And he was asking the first guy for a church that would accept him just as he was. And I remembered the T for T training and told him my testimony, my story of how God saved me out of the same kind of lifestyle, plus drugs and a lot more. But how God had shown himself to me and made himself real to me when I cried out to him one day. And how my life has been forever changed. I told him that truth of the word would set him free and that he doesn't have to try to change by himself. I said in a very gentle way, 
that we both know what the Bible says about this subject, parentheses, homosexuality. And he knew what the Bible said. But I told him that he didn't have to change on his own. God will walk him through any changes he needed. And I asked him if he wanted to meet again. And he was so excited and thanked me over and over for wanting to teach him. He was so excited we're going to meet next Wednesday. I always invite people to church. But this is another level. God is so good. This T for T will change so many lives. I can't wait. Now listen to this. I just want to mention a few things about this. This is so important. How are we, the church, going to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth if we don't even know how to address these subjects? See, what's happened in the world is the enemy, the Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And the enemy has deceived people out in the world to use reason and logic to try to set the standard of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And they're not basing on the word. And so the problem is that they didn't go back to the beginning of the story. So if you start in the middle of the story, you can twist things up and change the story. But you got to go all the way back to the beginning. And you go back to the beginning and it starts off in Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God. What does that mean? You weren't there. Isn't that right? Sometimes people say, well, it's my life. Well, where'd you get that life? Where'd you get that life? You didn't make it. In the beginning, God. And God had a dream to create a world and an earth and an atmosphere that was so beautiful, so gorgeous, with the blue sky and the yellow sun and the green grass and the white peak mountains and beautiful music and beautiful fruits with flavors and colors. And then to create a species of being That would be like God in his image and in his likeness with the capacities to enjoy all of that, to have dominion over the earth. And God created all of that and gave us the perfect life, a blessed life. But what happened was there was an evil one who came in with deception and caused us to pervert, to twist what God had given us. And when he did, sin entered our hearts and we were disconnected from God. And ever since then, the deceiver has been deceiving people into taking the great life that God tries to give us and twisting the rules so that we end up with devastation and destruction. And so now people today are still with reason and logic thinking, Well, look, this is my life. Shouldn't I get to choose what's best for me? Shouldn't I get to choose my preferences? Or I was just born this way. Why? Because I can remember way back certain things that I felt and thought and such, not realizing the enemy sows those things in our families, in our minds, in in us as children, to twist us. See, listen, God is not a party pooper trying to take away fun. This is the big lie. He's not a party pooper. Let me just, can I talk straight with you tonight? Listen, who invented sex? Did the devil invent that? Did the world invent that? Did that come, did that start on the internet? No. Who invented that? God. God invented sex. I know some of you are thinking, I don't know if I should say amen to that or... You can say amen to that, all right? 
All right. You don't need to say amen to the next thing I'm going to say. God invented sex every little tingle. That's why I told you you don't have to say amen. It'd be kind of awkward. People look at you. But it's true, isn't it? It's true. Now, why would he do that? Why would God invent something to be pleasurable like that? Why? Because you have to understand all the good stuff came from God. But what the enemy does is he takes and he perverts things, twists things, twists the rules to make us think that we can take it out of its original context and we could do it in a different way and somehow it's going to end up being good for us. And what God knows is it seems like it's going to be good to you right now because that's what your flesh feels like it wants to do. But he can see that it's going to end up destroying you. And because it's going to end up destroying you, he would be a horrible father not to tell you what's going to happen to you if you do that. And to tell you it's not appropriate. It's not that he's trying to take away the fun. He's trying to put the fun back in. He's the manufacturer. He knows how everything's supposed to work. He knows what makes us fulfilled in our hearts. And we try to say, no, no, not me. No, it's like this for me. You don't know. That's the arrogance about us. We think we know because we feel. But we don't know. He created us. You know, any parent that has a little toddler, you're walking through a parking lot and they see some green gum on the asphalt that's been chewed, stepped on, run over by cars and everything else. But there it is, shoved down in there and a little two-year-old reached down and grabs it. Immediately go into the mouth. What do you do? You grab that hand. You say, no, 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 baby. Don't eat that. I want that. No, you don't want that. Yeah, I do. I want that. I want it. It's green. Ah, right? Well, listen. They think they want it. Everything in them says, I want that. You know how they stick their tongue out? Everything in them thinks they want it. But a good parent knows. Uh-uh. No, you don't want that. It looks good to you, but it's not good, right? It's not good. And this is the way God is. God is not trying to take fun away from people. God loves people, everybody. God loves everybody. I don't care who they are, what their background is, what their preferences are. He loves everybody. But God is not going to allow somebody to think that just because they think something's going to be good, when it's not going to be good, that it will be good. Did you understand that sentence? I think it was grammatically accurate, but I'm not sure I even understood it. (laughs) God's not going to allow somebody to think that something that they think is good is good if it's really not good. Here's what the Bible clearly says. Homosexuals, adulterers, see it's not just homosexuals, adulterers, people carousing out there, partying and all that, pursuing those lifestyles, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so a good parent is going to come out with that and say, hey, listen, not only are you going to lose your eternity, which is the biggest deal, but it's going to destroy you here. And people think, no, it won't, no, it won't. Okay, you can say that all you want to, but it's already happening. And that's why we, the church, 
We've got to understand how to communicate to this world about a God of love. Not, a, not an old condemning God that's trying to just take fun stuff from you and take choice away from you. But a loving God that's trying to tell you, look, I really want to give you the best and I'm the manufacturer. I know what the best is. You think you know you don't know. I know what's best for you. I've already got a plan for you. It's the perfect plan for your life. Designed and customized to your gifting and abilities and graces and even your likes. You just think you want that right now. But God's saying, you really don't want that and you don't want what's going to happen if you get that. See, God's a good God. But we need to understand how to share the love of Jesus with this world. And here's somebody right outside of Starbucks is just having a conversation, trying to figure it out. Where can I go where nobody will tell me that this is wrong? When really what they need is to go somewhere where somebody in a loving way can share with them why that's wrong. And why God has a, great, a better plan, a greater plan for their lives than what they think would be good. And praise God, somebody's walking in, listen, jumps into the conversation and is going to now go and teach these six lessons of T for T to somebody. And notice the person said, thank you, thank you, thank you, and is asking for it. Amen. Praise God for being empowered by the Holy Spirit so that the world can find Jesus and get right. Amen. All right, now listen. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37, the harvest truly is plentiful. Why did he put that word truly in there? Because some people, you know, they just hear that, the harvest is plentiful. All right, all right. No, he's saying, no, really. No, really, the harvest truly is plentiful. What does that mean? There are people everywhere ready to receive. You know, sometimes, we, well, you know, the world's pretty hard and they just don't want to listen and everything. You know, sometimes we get that in our minds so we don't share. We don't tell anybody. Jesus said the harvest truly is plentiful. Plentiful. He said in John chapter 4, the fields are already white for harvest. In other words, they're ripe, ready to be picked. Ready to be picked. Let me tell you, what I've noticed here since the Lord has brought this T for T training to us and has provoked us to begin to go out and to be more aware and just to share our story. You know what I've noticed? Man, the harvest is ripe and overripe. In fact, it's like, you know, you're walking by a fruit tree and everything and the fruit just reaches out and says, hey, you're just going to walk by like I'm right here. Hello. Pick me. Right? This week I was, I was with my wife and we were in a video store and we saw another couple in there from the rock. And so we started fellowshipping a little bit and talking, you know, about things, things, how the Lord's doing things and such. And, uh, while we were talking there, we got up to the counter and, and the young man behind the counter, he said, aren't you from that church down there? And I said, yeah, from the rock. I said, uh, have you been there? He said, yeah, a long time ago, like eight years ago. He said, yeah, my aunt was sick or something. They wanted her to go down and get baptized or something. And so they wanted the whole family there. So I went there, but I, I recognize you. I said, oh, all right. 
So here my wife is still talking to this couple here, and there's another guy in the store over there. And I just leaned over the counter and I said, so do you go to church? He goes, no, I work Sundays. I said, well, listen. He said, my cousins go to your church, though. I said, oh, all right. I said, well, hey, how about if I get together with you and I share a few Bible studies that I think you'd really be interested in? He goes, all right. I said, well, how do I get a hold of you? He goes, I'll give you my number. <laughs> Writes his number down, gives it to me. That's tough, huh? That's hard, huh? It, listen to me. People need Jesus. The day that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, is the day he left. And the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the Father from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. He sat down. He, sat, he told us, go. And he sat down. Why? Because he came and did what he needed to do. And now he handed us the baton and he sat down waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. Who's going to make him his footstool? We are. We are. And if we don't share with people, who do we think is going to share with them? Do we think Jesus one day he's going to come back, share with everybody? People are dying by the millions every day. Years ago, I saw a video that said last year, 30 million people died without having heard the name of Jesus one time. And that was many years ago. That was before the population really grew like it was now, like it has grown. 30 million people. This is back about, oh, it must have been 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. 30 million people died that former year that had never even heard the name of Jesus. Here they are. Listen, listen to Jesus. Listen can you hear his heart? Can you hear his voice? The harvest truly is plentiful. But the laborers are few. In other words, we got plenty of people ready to receive. We just don't have enough people that are willing to tell them. It's not that we don't have enough laborers. We just don't have enough laborers willing to labor. Willing to do it. So what does Jesus say? He said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send them. In other words, pray that God will touch their hearts. So they'll say, Lord, even though I'm uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, I'd just, just rather not do it. Lord, after what you came down to do, after, after you saved me, Lord, empower me by your spirit. Help me to do it. Is there anybody in here that'll say, Lord, empower me? Come on, raise your hand up if that's you. Tell the Lord right now, say, Lord, empower me. Empower me with your spirit. To do your work. Make me a laborer in your kingdom. In Jesus name. So the Lord tells us. If you'll go. I'll empower you to reap. If you'll go. I'll empower you to reap. Now I want you to listen to. A very sensitive testimony. This is, this is very sensitive. This lady sent this to me this week. Hi pastor. I'm in your T for T class. I would like to share something with you. You had asked us to share and practice our testimonies on five unsaved people we know. Well, I had a hard time with that because I haven't even shared mine with my four kids. Mine is that when I was young, 16 or 17 years old, 
I'm now 54. I had three abortions. This is something that I've been so ashamed about and I couldn't even think about it, yet alone talk about it. After the abortions, I had four miscarriages and I thought God was punishing me for killing my babies. One day I was reading a book called God's Answers to Man's Questions. In this book was a section about abortion and miscarriage. When I had read God's answers on this, I started to cry and I asked God to please forgive me. In that moment, God sent a host of angels to comfort me. It was a glorious sight. I saw sparkling lights coming down out of heaven. I immediately knew that God loved me and forgave me for what I had done. I was born again at that moment. That was 16 years ago. But you see, I still lived with the guilt and shame and never told anyone. My own mother went to her grave not knowing. But through your teachings and through the T for T class, the people I shared my story with were my four children that God had blessed me with, even after what I had done. They took it very well. And I've had a burden lifted off of me that I've held on to for so long. And now I'm ready to share my story with those women that are hurting from this same thing to help them not to hang on to it for so long like I did. You know, Pastor, when you choose to kill a baby, you don't just kill one person, you kill two because a part of you dies with that child. But I thank God for my Lord and Savior that took my sin upon himself because he loved me with that much or he loved me that much and for God's grace and mercy. I know now through God's word that my babies are in heaven and I will meet them one day. So many scriptures to let myself and those women going through this know that there is hope and that God truly loves us regardless. I am still working on sharing my testimony. And if I need to take this class again, you will see me in another T for T class. Here's a lady that the enemy has tormented all of these years and put this guilt and shame on her and she walked around condemned couldn't even talk about it couldn't even share with her own children and such couldn't even share with her mother and the enemy has had this burden on her all these years and here's what hit me when I read this is that as she stepped out to give to be a part of the body of Christ she's being healed And the Lord's taken this burden off of her that she's been carrying all this time because she stepped out to give. You know, the Bible says give and it'll be given back to you. Isn't that right? I I wrote this lady back and I said, isn't God good that he's forgiven all of us from shameful sins of our past? Is that true? It's not just a few people. Don't we all have shameful things from the past that God has forgiven us from? The enemy will make us think that ours is worse than other people's. I sent to her and I said, thank God that he's forgiven all of us from shameful sins. Taking that burden off of us. And now this lady's being healed in her heart. And now she said, you know what? I'm ready now to start sharing my story with other people that have gone through similar things. And you know what's going to happen? Other people are going to have burdens removed from their lives. And you know what's going to happen to this lady when other people are having these burdens removed? She's going to be so fulfilled. Because even though the enemy did some things with her, with her natural children at first, she's going to be bearing a lot of spiritual children. Can somebody say amen to this? 
Oh, the fulfillment's going to come. This is a big deal. All right. Now, Acts chapter 2. I want you to look there. Verse 41. It said, Then those who gladly received his word, Peter's message, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. How many? 3,000. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. Who continued steadfastly? Come on now. The 3,000. The 3,000. 3,000 were added, and the next verse says, and they continued steadfastly. So all of these 3,000, plus the about 120 that were in the upper room, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now notice what happened, verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, everybody say temple, and breaking bread from house to house, everybody say house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church daily. The Lord added. The Lord I will build my church. The Lord added to the church. The Lord added to who added? The Lord did. You remember they went out and preached everywhere? The Lord working with them. And the Lord added to the church daily. Those who were being saved. People at Star, out in front of Starbucks talking. Isn't that right? Amen. Women going through stuff. Just adding. Somebody working at the video store. Just adding. Just adding. Wherever we are. Salt. Light. The Lord added to the church daily. Daily. Those who are being saved. The Lord did it. Listen. Jesus is trying to build his church. He's looking for somebody to work with. Is there anybody willing to work with me? Is there anybody willing to allow me to empower them by the Spirit? This is what Jesus is saying to us. Is there anybody willing to allow me to empower them? Instead of just saying, well, I don't have the gift. Well, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. He said, I'm trying to give you everything you need. The empowerment of the mighty Holy Spirit that was on Jesus. And so it says here, and the Lord added to the church daily, daily, daily. I declare... People are not just going to be saved and added weekly. People are going to be added daily to our church. Amen. If the Lord can do it there, he can do it here. This was not the whole body of Christ around the world yet. This was still in Jerusalem. It just started this day. If the Lord could do it in this one church in Jerusalem and eventually multiply to other places. But if the Lord can do it in this one church, he can do it in this one church. Amen. The Lord added to the church daily, daily. The Lord did it. Why? He's building his church. How many of you want to build the church with him? Well, that's most of you. Some of you don't. Or you didn't hear the question. I'll give you another shot just in case I I wasn't as clear as I could have been. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The Lord added to the church daily. How many of you want to build this church with Jesus? Amen. Amen. This is so important. Now let me show you what they did though. Go back to verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized that day. 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. 
and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And it went on to say that they were in the temple and from house to house. Well, let me tell you what this is talking about. This is saying that they didn't just run all over the place and say, well, I'm okay, I like this, but I'm going to go over here and hear this other. I'm going to go over here and get these other schools. There were lots of schools of rabbis and people that were teaching. But these 3,000 people, about 3120 at the time, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. There were lots of rabbis and teachers and Pharisees and scribes and chief priests and Sadducees that were around. But these people continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. See, there are a lot of people teaching doctrines, but we need to stick where the Lord plants us. A movement happens when we stay where the Lord plants us. Amen. I remember, I love the story of that guy that was shipwrecked. He was the only survivor. He washed up on a beach and he finally came to and he looked up and he realized he's on an island. He's seeing the island there and he sees a man running at him, yelling, Yay! Hey! I mean, running right at him. So he kind of shook himself and he thought he better get up. So he gets up. You know, he's got nowhere to go. The ocean's behind him. And the guy runs right out. Hey! The guy runs right up to him and hugs him. Hey, man, how you doing? He said, were you shipwrecked? And the guy said, yeah. He goes, me too. 30 years ago. He said, I was the only survivor too. The guy said, you've been here 30 years? Yeah, man, I've been here by myself 30 years. Man, it's so good to see you. So he starts looking at the island. He said, if you're here by yourself, what are, what are all these buildings and structures? He goes, that's my town, man. I told you I've been here 30 years. He goes, what's that? He goes, that's my house. That's where I live. He said, I'll take you there. And the guy said, well, what's that? He goes, that's my church. You got to go to church. He goes, well, if that's your church, then what's that? He goes, oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> And that's how we know he's an American. <laughs> because Americans have this way of going somewhere, then they'll just uproot and go somewhere else, then uproot and go somewhere else. Why? Let me tell you, there's something inside of us that has the idea that, you know what, I'm getting here, nah, this, this is not it. You know, I saw somebody, on, I'm going to go over there, somebody on, I saw, I heard about this other man, I'm going to go over there. I heard, you know, I'm going to go, over, this is where it's really happening, I'm going to run over there. And what happens is, in our minds, we think that if we go and get the best of everything, then we'll be better than everybody. Only to find out we don't even become who we're called to be. How many of you like to eat fruit? Anybody like fruit? It's good, isn't it? How many of you like to eat dirt? Anybody? Where does fruit come from? Where are, those, where are those trees planted? They're planted in dirt. And the Lord plants us places that we don't think are going to help us to bear the fruit that we're called to bear. And we begin to see that as dirt. Well, what am I doing here? I'm stuck here in the mud, right? <laughs> you might be planted by the rivers of water. You think you're stuck in the mud. How am I going to get anything done here? So you uproot yourself and you go somewhere else and you plant there and you realize you keep uprooting, trying to find the fruit, not realizing the fruit 
was in the nutrients in the mud. In other words, God knew what you needed more than you knew what you needed. And he planted you in that place and it takes faith to say, God, wherever you want me to be, that's where I need to be. And I don't need to be anxious that fruit's not coming really quick. It's going to come by me being where you want me to be. They continued steadfastly, steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship. They continued steadfastly. I remember back in 2008 when I had the privilege of going to Africa and sitting in the office with Bishop David Oyedepo, who pastors a church that's now over 200,000 people. And as we sat there and we just fellowshiped together and enjoyed it so much, he had that jolly grin on his face and he was just sharing testimonies about how God had accomplished that ministry in Africa. And one of the things he said to me, he said, many, many years ago, the Lord connected me with a certain ministry and a certain man. And he said, I learned many years ago to stay connected where God connected me. Now, what I knew is this man's ministry, and it's certainly true today, got 200,000 more people in his church than the church of the man he connected him with. But what in the world does that have anything to do with it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Well, I've outgrown him now. I've got to find somebody else that, you know, can take me where I'm trying to go. See, you're leaning on your own understanding as if you know what you need. Here's what he said to me. He said, the Lord connected me with that ministry. And he said, I knew that what I needed for my ministry, I was going to get the nutrients from that. And so even though temptations were to switch. He said, I knew that's where God connected me. That's where I need to stay. He said, so all these years, I've just stayed connected to that ministry. And the Lord just keeps doing his work. See, it's a faith thing. It's not supposed to make sense. It's a faith thing. You stay in the dirt God connects you to and plants you in because the nutrients are down under the ground. You just stay there. They continued steadfastly. You can't have people jumping up and running over here and jumping up and running over there and expect a mighty move of God with a transient ministry. Man, we've got to have people that are stationary. People that say, you know what? I need God. I need to be where God wants me to be. I learned this many years ago when I was a youth pastor. And I noticed at the church where I was that there were some people that kind of got offended, been out of shape. Well, I don't like the way the senior pastor is doing. I don't like the way he's running it. You know, he, not, he shouldn't be doing this or he shouldn't be doing that or whatever. And they kind of get cocky in an attitude. I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah, I, I believe the Lord's called me, you know, because they, they got too big for that ministry. But as I've watched over the, you know, sometimes you'll learn just by watching over the years. Just sit back and watch. And you know what I learned? The people that jumped ship and thought they were being held back have had difficulty bearing fruit in the kingdom of God. But the people that humbled themselves and said, look, this is where God called me to be. And whether this guy is perfect or imperfect, whether everything's the way that I think it ought to be or not, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so I'm going to be in here and be faithful and I'm going to be submitted and I'm going to be supportive. And I'm going to learn everything I can learn from this place. Those people are bearing fruit today. 
Those people are bearing fruit today. Amen. You know why? Because the key is not in making your own decisions. The key is humbling yourself before the Lord and saying, Lord, listen, if you want me to leave, I'll leave. But I'm not going to leave unless you tell me to leave. I'm going to be right here and support and be a part because no, no matter where you go, you're going to be under an imperfect leader. No matter where you go, you're going to be a part of an imperfect church. And if it wasn't imperfect, it will be when you get there. <laughs> Amen. See, and so we've got to learn to humble ourselves and just say, Lord, I'm not here just to get. I'm here to give something. And if this, this place has weaknesses, I'm here to shore those weaknesses up. See, that's, that's the heart of the Lord to build. Somebody said, well, there's weak over here. Well, why don't you build that? Well, I ain't building that. See, you don't have a heart to build. Or you know what people like to do? They want to wait till something's really happening, really being built, and then they want to jump on the bandwagon. Well, Jack, we don't need the help on this now. It's really going without you. Where were you when we were, you know, pushing this thing up the hill? Now that it's going down, you want to ride on and say, yeah, we did this. Where were you pushing it up the hill? There's another one over here going up there. Yeah, I'm not called to that. Amen. Amen. They continued steadfastly. This is why the Lord can add to the church daily as people just get in there and say, you know what? This is where God called me. Man, we're going to bear some fruit right here. We're going to bear some fruit right here. And you get a whole bunch of people that are not, you know, rubbernecking, looking around, you know, where else can I go or what else is going on here? And they just say, Lord, just tell me what to do. Man, we're going to stick in here, get our shoulder under this thing. Now you're, now you're about to see a move of God. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And they were in the temple. What does that mean? When you came to the temple, the 12 apostles were there. And you got their doctrine and fellowship. At home, the apostles can't be in everybody's house. See, so they had to do both. They had to be in the temple, in the presence of the apostles, getting their teaching. And that at, there's something about the atmosphere of the big church. Isn't that right? It doesn't supply everything, but it supplies something. But then they also were in house to house. See, we need both. We need to minister here and we need to be in our homes ministering to people. And from house to house. And what happened? The Lord started adding to the church daily. This is exactly what God's saying to us. I'm going to establish this ministry both in the big church and in from house to house. And people are going to start getting saved daily. Amen. 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 Daily, 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 daily. All right, let me wrap this up. Here's a testimony. This person said, I would love to share with you what the Lord has done in my life since I attended the first two T for T meetings. He has allowed me to share my personal testimony with an individual, parentheses, she wanted to know why I think I'm so important to God. (laughs) And once in a group of 12 people, one of the people claimed to be an atheist. And asked if we could get together because she wants to know how I know God loves me. Now, I just, just listen to this. Since these uh, T for T class, I mean, we've just been doing this now three weeks. Since these T for T class, she's already sharing. And somebody wants to meet with her and she wants to know why she thinks God likes her so much. And then there's an atheist that was part of another group of 12 that this person shared with. And the atheist is asking to get together 
and wants to know how I know God loves me so much. The eighth, did you hear that? The atheist is asking, can we get to get the, the you know, you're walking by and the fruit saying, hey, you're not even going to tell me. <laughs> I'm right here. I thought you were an atheist. So what? Tell me something. Listen, what, what are we seeing? The harvest truly is plentiful. It's white for harvest. These testimonies are rolling in and all we're seeing is that instead of this being a reluctant world and nobody wants to hear, we're seeing people everywhere that want to hear. And I tell you this, as the economy is waning, more and more people are going to be open because they're struggling. We live in an expensive society. Is that right? It's expensive to live. Expensive Taxes are high. Getting higher. Things are changing. And people are opening up their hearts saying, I need something. And the perversity that's been rampant in our world is causing problems in people's lives. People are dealing with STDs. People are dealing with broken homes. People are dealing with insecurities and depression. Struggling. And the Lord's saying, they're right there. Help them. Talk to them. Tell them. What if they reject me? What if they do? What if they do? One day we're all going to be in heaven. And it's going to be nothing but a thing. And we're not going to think, yeah, I got rejected. One guy tried to share with him and he gave me some hassle. You're not going to think that. If anything, you're going to think, I wish I would have shared with everybody. The harvest truly is plentiful. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to reap a daily harvest. A daily harvest. Let me share one more testimony with you. This is from a lady that doesn't even come to our church. She's a friend of my wife's. I don't even know if I've met this lady before. But she knows who I am because she's a leader. And my wife goes to some leader's functions where this lady comes. And so this lady knows my wife and me and what, what we do. But here's what she said. She emailed my wife this week and said, In all the 34 years of being saved, I have never once been witnessed to by anyone. Been saved 34 years. Nobody's ever attempted to share the Lord with this lady. She went on to say, This always strikes me interesting or rather sad. That is until last Sunday. I was on my way to meet a friend in Brea. At a stoplight, an older 60-ish woman suddenly appeared at the passenger side of my car window. I rolled down my window to discover that she was lost and needed some directions. I quickly realized she was really lost. So I opened the door to let her in and offered to take her to her destination not too far from where we were. On our way there, she began sharing the Lord with me. I was so struck that I just listened. She then said, my daughter and her husband go to the rock. I think you'll like it. You should go there. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Jerry loves the Lord and is a very good teacher. I could only smile when she learned that I also love Jesus and that I knew you. She thought it was a miracle (laughs) Uh, at a first and it came from a seed 
of the fruit of the rock. Wow. She said it was the first time she'd ever heard about the Lord and it came from a seed of the fruit. Now listen, neither one of these ladies come to our church. <laughs> Not interesting? But because of what the Lord's doing here, it affected somebody's family member who's now sharing the Lord with somebody and saying, you should go there. Right? She doesn't even go there. You should go there. <laughs> you tell me the Lord is not doing something here. <laughs> We're in the beginning stages of a move of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about, we've already been in a move of the Holy Spirit. This is a new wave of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord's calling us into this T for T training. And He's calling us to begin to see ourselves differently. And to begin to see that we're not just weak, little, wimpy, insecure, timid, powerless Christians. But we've received power from the Holy Spirit to share. And here's the way the power works. You may not feel any electricity or goosebumps or anything. But when you begin, begin to share, the person that's supposed to be reluctant and hard is going to be saying, Yeah, man, I'll, I want to hear. I want to get together. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working on their hearts. And instead of thinking you're a weirdo, they're thinking you might be the answer to what I'm looking for. See, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the person and how they respond that shows the power on your life. Amen. Jesus said, he who saves his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will find it. In other words, if you're still thinking, well, man, I don't want to do all this stuff. I just want to come to church. I don't want to like get into it and everything. You're still trying to hang on to your own life. Not realizing that when you accepted the Lord, that was you on the cross with Jesus. Your life is crucified. Like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You remember what he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14? He said, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You see, so when we receive Jesus... We gave up our old life and we took on his life. And so now he lives through us. So, so just like Jesus went and ministered to people, that's what we're to do. But with the power of the Holy Spirit. The harvest truly is plentiful. But the laborers are few. And Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you want to have that power working in your life, lift your hand up right now to the Lord. Put your other hand up and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit right now. Empower me to be a witness for you. To overcome my insecurities. Come on, say it out loud. To overcome my timidity. Change me by your spirit. Empower me to bear fruit. In the name of Jesus.